Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a cybersecurity TLDR show. This is your threat intel briefing for the week of August 7th. 2022 through August 13th, 2022. I am your host, John Good. If you're joining us on YouTube for the live stream, because this one is being live streamed, uh, appreciate it. Make sure to leave a like, comment, subscribe. And even if you're watching on the replay, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Do all the YouTube stuff. If you're listening to us on podcasting platforms, because we're available on popular podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon and whatever else kind of podcasting platform you might be using, make sure to subscribe and leave us a comment as well. Let us know how we're doing, uh, what you like, what you don't like, if you think there's some change that we can do to the show and all that good kind of stuff. And uh, let's see, without that, uh, let's see, uh, look in the description also too. I'm trying to think, trying to think of the standard stuff. I'm still kind of waking up here. Uh, but um, check out the description and there will be a link to the show notes as well so that you can look at the articles and everything like that if you want to see a little bit more about what's going on. And that's on YouTube and uh, podcasting platforms as well. So uh, happy Saturday also too because that's when we're actually live streaming this. But uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the articles. So the first article was uh, Security Experts Urge fix speedy confirmation as the first U.S. cyber ambassador. So a bipartisan group of 106 national security experts, former government officials and industry leaders sent from the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee a letter Tuesday endorsing Nate Fick to serve as the State's Department, uh, State Department's first ambassador at a large cyberspace and digital po- uh, at large for cyberspace, uh, cyberspace and digital policy according to a letter copy, uh, a copy of a letter obtained by CyberScoop. The, uh, the new ambassador will need the ability to build diverse set of economic, military, and political conditions to advance our national interests and help protect our nation in the cyber domain, And the let, uh, said the letter, which was sent a day ahead of fixed committee nomination hearing on Wednesday. Nate has lived these challenges personally as a warfighter, policy expert and business executive and he is inspiring leader uh an inspiring leader and a galvanizing communicator so when i see this right we are starting to see the um cyberspace really you know really evolve still right in a lot of ways and this specifically obviously is dealing with government and being a cyber ambassador but to me this is kind of that step towards getting a lot of countries on board as far as protecting the cyberspace, trying to get some kind of unified presence or unified stance on cyber issues. And we, we see this with other kinds of you know, areas too, right? We have uh, State Department um, you know, representatives and leaders and people in the embassies all, at all these countries, and you really are trying to build these kind of foreign relations, right? And that's because Cyberspace really is kind of the wild, wild west, right? Uh, there's not, you know, there are more um, requirements and restrictions 
and things like that that exist right now than there did before. But in a lot of ways, it's still kind of, um, you know, free for all. <laughs> and that, especially with imposing um, restrictions or trying to go after people, you know, it, it's only as good as all the company, uh, countries uh, cooperating with each other. And so this kind of reminds me too of like how um, like the UN or the um, NATO, right? Um, just how all those countries work together for a common goal, you know, typically, right? Uh, sometimes there's fighting between them, but I think that's kind of a similar idea. And the U.S. is just trying to get somebody to kind of be the, the spokesperson, that, um, that relationship builder, if you will, for cyberspace, right? So pretty cool. Uh, next article is CISA should split from DHS or made part of broader digital agency, former director Chris Krebs. Uh, former uh, cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency CISA director Chris Krebs called for a significant adjustment to the U.S. government's uh, approach to cybersecurity on Wednesday, voting several potential changes Congress should consider. During a keynote address at the Black Hat Conference in Las Vegas, and if you got to go to Black Hat or DEF CON, awesome. Hope you're enjoying your time. Hope you enjoyed your time. And uh, yeah, let me know how it went. But um, Krebs proposed the creation of a U.S. digital agency, which would incorporate elements of CISA, the National Institute uh, of Standards and Technologies, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, the Department of Energy, as well as parts of the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Communication Commission. I think it's time that we rethink the, the way that government interacts with technology we have to make an agency that's focused on empowering better digital risk management services, Krebs said. Uh, I'm not just talking about security. I'm talking about privacy. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about trust and safety issues. We're not where we need to be, and we're falling behind, and Americans are suffering as a result. I think that's fair, right? We see a lot of times that you know, regulations are very slow to come out. No matter what it is, it's always going to be behind, right? Something is going to happen. Something's going to spur on uh, creating some kind of regulation. And then it, you know, takes 20 years to come out. <laughs> no, but I mean, it takes a while, right? And because it's got to go through all of the, the steps, all the process, the workflow. And, you know, so it it's good to see kind of this evolution of, uh, of cyber, of cyber, right, um, and how risk management and all that plays in comes into play, and then also too with like the government. I mean, you know, like I said, they're slow a lot of times to do a lot of things, but creating some kind of agency that can kind of, um, kind of bring all these agencies and different pieces together, I think, is a good thing, you know. With the government, I mean, they, they get a lot of red tape, uh, you know, a lot of documentation from a cybersecurity perspective, with all the risk management framework kind of stuff that all these entities are required to do. And, you know, it, that's an issue that a lot of companies are facing, maybe not the same issue, but data, right? We are starting to get so much data from all these different sources and all these different things. And how do we bring all that data together? and make use of it right how do we make decisions with all that data and like with this you know we have all these different departments and things like that and a lot of times they're acting in silos right so they're not they're not acting together or coordinating together 
partly because, you know, it's very difficult to do that. Obviously, another reason is who's going to be in charge of it. A lot of uh, heads of these different departments and agencies and stuff like that, they don't want to give up control, right? Like they want to be the boss. But, um, you know, data, right? How, how do you take all that data in and uh, really use it, use, make use of it to make decisions? So we'll see how that kind of plays out. Next article, zero-day bug responsible for massive Twitter breach. So a zero-day vulnerability in Twitter's code base was responsible for a major data breach that was thought to have, uh, that is thought to have affected 5.4 million users, social media firm has revealed. The threat actor was hoping to sell the profit data for $30,000 on a cybercrime site. Some information was scraped from public Twitter profiles, including location and image URL. However, they were crucially able to link account emails and phone numbers with account ID IDs by leveraging the vulnerability. In January 2022, received a report through our bug bounty program of a vulnerability in Twitter system as a result of the vulnerability. If someone submitted an email address and phone number to Twitter systems, Twitter systems would tell the person the Twitter account, uh, what Twitter account the submitted email address or phone number was associated with, if any, Twitter explained. The bug resulted from an update to our code in June 2021. When, uh, when we learned about this, we immediately investigated and fixed it. At that time, we had no evidence to suggest someone had taken advantage of the vulnerability. However, the firm realized last month that a malicious actor has been indeed able to take advantage of the bug before it managed to be patched. So, you know, zero days are always an issue. Um, you know, you can't ultimately stop a lot of zero days, right? Like it's very difficult because it's unknown, right? Like there's no type of pattern match or signature or anything like that that you can really match to it. And especially when it's something, you know, internally built, that can be even more of an issue, right? Um, but, um, you know, I mean, I see a couple couple good things here. I mean, they got a report in January 2022 about um, a bug from their bug bounty program, right? So that's always good that they're running a bug bounty program. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, now we're in August, so eight months later, basically. Um, I don't know if the speed, you know, necessarily um, about how all this was handled is necessarily good, right? But, um, you know, I mean, time will tell, but also too, with zero days, you know, one of the things that you can do is you can use best practices, you can do zero trust, you can do, um, you know, least privilege, like all these things are going to help minimize what can happen, right? It sounds like with this, I mean, obviously, you know, leaking things like um, uh, phone numbers and emails, like obviously that's bad, especially if it's behind the scenes or being able to track and uh, connect those two accounts, that's not good. But, um, you know, I have a feeling that there could have been maybe some more sensitive information leaked. I'm not sure, right? Um, to me, it seems like on Twitter, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And I know that one of the issues, too, was that if your account was anonymous, let's say, right, uh, you might have had two-factor authentication on there. You know, now we can start linking who that is for that anonymous account. So, sorry, sorry, Twitter trolls. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's something to be aware of, especially if you use Twitter, especially if you're anonymous.
but um, like anonymous on your account or trying to be anonymous on there, like with a, a pseudo name. But, um, you know, maybe not in the grand scheme of things, maybe not uh, the worst thing that could have ever happened. All right. So uh, this one's an interesting article. Microsoft tightens edge security for less visited websites. Microsoft wants to make it safer for edge users to browse and visit unfamiliar websites by automatically applying stronger security settings. The new, new feature is part of a number of security updates in version 104.0.1293.47. Ooh, that's a long version number. Announced this month that they're designed to reduce the risk for users as they move around the internet. Edge is designed to give users a full browsing experience using technologies like JavaScript, according to Microsoft. On the other hand, that power can translate to more exposure when you visit a malicious site. The vendor wrote as it outlined the feature. With, secure, with enhanced security mode, Microsoft Edge helps reduce the risk of an attack by automatically applying more conservative security settings on unfamiliar sites and adapts over time as you continue to browse. The enhanced security mode reduces memory-related vulnerabilities by disabling just-in-time JIT JavaScript uh, compilation and applying more OS protections for the browser, including hard and, uh, hardware-enforced stack protection and arbitrary code guard. So I actually like this. This is a pretty cool idea. Um, so basically the idea, right, is that a lot of malware and things like that, those are on websites or IP addresses, URLs, that you're not going to typically go to, right? Like a a malware URL is not going to be on like YouTube, right? It's going to be on um, myhacks.xyz or something, right? Like whatever. Um, but it's going to be on things that you don't typically go to. And so basically, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of a known thing, right? And so this, this is, you know, this is going to have to track uh, the websites you visit, I'm guessing it's probably going to use like your history, right? Um, I guess it could use something else, something kind of obfuscated, right? That you don't even see, uh, send back to a server or something because, you know, then you get, then it's hard because if you clear your history, then that clears that too. Um, but I guess it's, it goes to more conservative, right? So if you cleared your history then it has no reference of websites that you visited, so it's going to treat all websites uh, you know, with more restrictions, but I like that idea. Um, you know, again, it's websites that you're not going to visit on a regular basis. And the more you visit them, the less restriction is going to be on it. So, you know, if you go to Facebook a lot, YouTube a lot, whatever, it's going to slowly pull back some of those restrictions. If, you know, if any on those kind of websites, I don't know. It, it doesn't really say if it's going to, um, if it's going to, you know, basically not have a lot of those on those major kind of websites but all in all I, I really like that i think that's a good idea i think that is um you know it's a new idea right because i don't think i've heard of any um any like browser or anything like that doing that before um so cool yeah good idea A former Twitter employee convicted of spying for Saudi Arabia. So this is a um, this is bringing up an older uh, situation that happened. I think it was 
I want to say maybe, well, I don't know, but I think it was this year though, earlier this year. Uh, a former Twitter Inc. employee was convicted of spying for Saudi Arabia by turning over personal information of platform users who'd used anonymous handles to criticize the kingdom and its royal family. Ahmad uh, Abu Amo, a U.S. resident born in Egypt, was found guilty by a jury Tuesday of charges including acting as an agent for Saudi Arabia, money, money laundering, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and falsifying uh, records. Following a two-week trial in San Francisco court, federal court, he faces 10 to 20 years in prison when he's sentenced. Abu Amo, uh, a media partnership manager for Twitter in 2015, maintained he was simply doing his job promoting the nascent social media network in the Middle East and North Africa. Prosecutors alleged his relationship with a top aide in Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS, now the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia went much further and darker to help the crown prince silence his critics. The jury was shown uh, evidence that Abu Amo received a uh, Hublot, Hublot, I never know how to say that, uh, watch, and $300,000 in wire transfers, which the U.S. said were bribes from the, uh, from the MBS aide Badar al-Asakar, uh, in exchange for confidential Twitter account information on Saudi dissidents. So, you know, in the U.S. here, with a U.S. company like Twitter or, you know, just in the U.S., right, we have, you know, a lot of free speech, right? Like, that is one thing that we try to really talk about and really try to um, try to protect, right? We want to allow people to say what they want, whether that is something that we agree with, something that we disagree with, it doesn't matter, right? That, that's the kind of the context that we try to operate on, uh, in the U.S. I'm not going to go into you know, ways that that is restricted or maybe it's not restricted, but you know, that's the idea, right? We want free speech. And so you know, a foreign government basically recruits or you know, pays somebody to help them try to censor that information, right? And that's kind of what this issue is. And, you know, that's dangerous, right? For a lot of reasons, but that kind of goes against our core values here in the U.S. And, you know, if you were in a country, for instance, like China, right? China is known to have censorship on the data or information that people see within China. And, you know, it's just dangerous overall. So I'm not surprised that, um, you know, that this person is getting, you know, probably going to get the book thrown at them as far as, you know, how much they're going to get, um, because that's just not, you know, something that we condone, right? Like we don't, we don't want people to be restricted in what they say, um, you know, kind of regardless of what they say in a lot of cases, but, um, you know, this kind of goes back to when you're at a company, you know, and you do background checks and you hire people and, you know, what kind of due diligence do you do, right? Uh, are you hiring people that are going to have potential issues? You know, are you hiring people that are, you know, very, very um, safe kind of hires where we don't think there's going to be a lot of issues, but then you also have people that can change over time. You know, there's the whole insider threat idea. So insiders are, you know, honestly, probably your most dangerous area because those are the people that are, you know, 
those are the people that have the access, the legitimate access, and that um, they're not going to typically raise alarms because they're going to be doing their job or something along their job. And, you know, insiders, a lot of times they are getting paid or getting bribed or whatever for the access that they have currently, right? So they're not getting, not necessarily getting paid to go in, run Cali and try to privilege escalate, right? That's just, that's going to draw a lot of, you know, alerts and eyes on them if they were doing that, but they're just paid generally for their access, right? So they try, uh, these, these countries or organizations or whatever that try to do this kind of stuff, they target specific roles or specific people, you know, for that exact reason. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. And he's definitely going to get, um, definitely going to get punished. Uh, but then also too, that's going to kind of, you know, soil a little bit relationships, right? Anything like that, where we discover people that are being, uh, that are working with governments, right? On the inside and trying to do some suspicious things, uh, that definitely, you know, it's kind of like a, um, it's kind of like a back, uh, you know, like a, a slap to the face, right? Because you're just like, yeah, we're going to hire some people, put them in the country, and then, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's an interesting article, I think. We we covered that several months ago, I think it was. Um, I'm pretty sure it was this year. But definitely remember that coming up. Uh, okay, so next article. New Jersey requires threat assessment teams for all school districts. School districts, charter schools, and renaissance schools in New Jersey must develop and adopt a policy for the establishment of a threat assessment tool at their schools in the 2023-2024 school year. According to recently signed law, the threat assessment teams will provide school teachers, administrators, and other staff with assistance in identifying students of concern, assessing those students' risk of engaging in violent, uh, violence or other harmful activities, and delivering intervention strategies to manage the risk of harm for students who pose a potential safety risk to prevent targeted violence in the school and ensuring a safe and secure school environment that enhances the learning experience for all members of the school community. The threat assessment team, which is established by a, uh, to be established by a board of education or board of trustees in each district, shall maintain, maintain dis, multidisciplinary in membership, including a school psychologist, a school counselor, a, a school social worker, or other school employee, expertise in uh, student counseling, a teaching staff member, a school principal or other school, uh, senior school administrator, a safe school, uh, school's resource officer or other school employee who serves as a school liaison to law enforcement, and uh, the designated school safety specialist. So, I mean, this is another pretty awesome idea. Um, what are the issues with schools, you know, here in the U.S. especially because it's in the news so much? is that we have um, students, we have young people that, you know, a couple camps, right? We have people that will go uh, start bullying a lot online and just, you know, be very abusive or aggressive towards other students. You know, obviously that's an issue. Uh, we also have students that, you know, have more significant and severe issues that end up doing this stuff and then kind of taking it even a step further and we get these things like school shootings and things like that. And, you know, so obviously really, really bad outcomes for a lot of this stuff. And to me, this is kind of that thing where, you know, this is going to try to stop it early, right? 
Um, you know, nobody wants it to get to that level, go to that point or anything like that. We want to stop it early and identify these kind of situations where uh, maybe we can stop this, give that person a little bit of counseling or you know, something along those lines, and then they will, um, you know, turn out better, right? These kind of issues won't happen. And so this, this is awesome. I mean, this is kind of, you know, this is kind of like insider threat, right? Like in organizations where we are looking for, um, you know, elevated risk. We're looking for people that have the potential to go ahead and do something that, you know, is obviously not, um, not a positive thing, right? So if they're going to steal data, if they're going to come in and, you know, start um, destroying the data center or something like that, you know? It's the same kind of idea and the whole multidisciplinary um, team, right? So you want people from all different areas. So like an organization, you would want people from legal. You would want, um, you know, cybersecurity people, probably IT people, HR people, you know, kind of all these different areas of the organization because we want to, we want to track some of this behavior when it starts to, you know, raise flags, right? More or less. So like if somebody is constantly trying to access sensitive areas of the network, you know, obviously that's a big deal, right? Because that's going to be somebody maybe poking and prodding on the controls that are in place. And that person is looking for a way in and a way in. And then eventually, you know, they're going to, they're going to try to do something bad, right? So same kind of idea with this. This is just specifically about uh, school districts and schools, but um, you know the, this is risk management kind of 101, right? Like you should have a team that is focused on tracking a lot of this stuff and all the insider threats, right? That article. Um, so uh had a question in the chat that uh, where are the articles? So there will be a link that I will uh, have in the description that will have all the articles that we're talking about. I'll have to go back and update it currently with the live stream. But if you're watching on the replay, uh, that will be in the description. Um, that specific article though, I'm gonna go ahead and put that in the chat. So the one that we were just talking about, about the school districts, that one's in the chat. So there you go. And again, check after and I will update it with the, uh, the link to the show notes. But I put all the show notes on my website if you're curious. So johngood.com uh, and I put them under uh, cybersecurity TLDR. So johngood.com slash cybersecurity TLDR. But uh, you know, basically you'll see it right on the main screen for this week's episode and last week's and all the other episodes, right? So... Uh, let's see here. So tech cyber companies launched security standard to monitor hacking attempts. A group of 18 tech and cyber security com- uh, cyber companies said Wednesday that they're building a common data standard for sharing cybersecurity information. They aim to fix a problem for corporate security uh, chiefs who say that products, uh, that cyber products don't often integrate, making it hard to fully assess hacking threats. Products and services that support the OCSF, the Open Cybersecurity Schema Framework specifications, would be able to collate and standardize alerts from different cyber monitoring tools 
network loggers, and other software to simplify and speed up the interpretation of that data, said Patrick Coughlin, Splunk's group, Splunk's group vice president of the security market. Folks expect us to figure out, they're saying, we're tired of complaining about the same challenges. Often cyber teams build several dashboards to monitor items such as attempted logins and unusual network activity. To get a full picture of the events, they frequently have to write custom code to reformat data of one dashboard or analysis tool or another, said Mike Ryland, director of the office of the CISO at AWS. There's a lot of custom software out there in the security world, he said. So, yeah, this is an ongoing problem that we, you know, we've always had. Um, it's a huge challenge, right? Because a lot of uh, a lot of companies that make tools and develop products and things like that, you know, so many of the so much of the time they put it or try to put it into a proprietary format. That way, you have to use it in their tool. That's just the way it is, right? Like companies do that all the time, uh, and especially in like security tools, we see that all the time because, you know, a, a tool, they just want to keep their, you know, they want to keep it proprietary. They want to keep their hands on the, on the product, right. On your data. So it kind of, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, but basically that's the idea. And so, you know, a lot of times companies don't create integrations with other products. Sometimes they do. Uh, we saw this, you know, honestly, a lot with um, a lot of like the networking standards and kind of how that whole thing has evolved over time since the internet was first created or like ethernet and things like that were created. We saw a lot of organizations trying to create their own kind of standard or own flavor of whatever and, you know, no standardization. And of course then things don't talk and, you know, there's all kinds of issues, but that's obviously at the infrastructure level. This uh, is talking about actually trying to get a lot of that data. So it, it works well together and there's not as much of a need for some of this custom reformatting of the code, right? Um, I, I think that's an amazing idea. We'll see how it works in practice. You know, you can tell that I'm super optimistic about it. You know, it's just, it's from seeing so many companies that really don't necessarily want to play well together. And, you know, obviously the more companies that you have that are going to kind of go to um, kind of a standard or work towards a standard, then you start to be reliant on, on all of them to actually continue to do that. And again, you know, you change leadership, you change people that are in the positions and then opinions change. Right. So it could happen. It could happen for a short while. You know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I think it's a good idea and I hope that companies will agree to it and work together because I think that's beneficial for everybody. But, um, you know, it, it's one thing that I'm not going to necessarily uh, say, yes, 100%, that's going to continue to happen because we'll see, right? <laughs> so uh, Twilio hacked by phishing campaign targeting internet companies. Have you seen this? Talk about Twilio. Communication giant Twilio has confirmed hackers accused customer, uh, access customer data after successfully tricking employees and handing over corporate login credentials. San Francisco-based company, which allows users to build voice and SMS capabilities, such as two-factor authentication, so 2FA, and applications said in a blog post published Monday that it became aware that someone gained unauthorized access to information related to Twilio customer accounts on August 4th. In an update, 
posted on August 11th, Twilio conform, uh, confirmed that malicious actors accessed the data of 125 customers, but has yet to confirm what data was accessed. Twilio's public policy says that information is collected, including addresses, payment details, IP addresses, and in some cases, proof of identity. The attack used SMS phishing uh, messages that per- perpetrated to come from Twilio's IT department, pretty standard, right? Suggesting that the employees' passwords had expired on, uh, on or that their schedule had changed and advised the target to log in to a spoofed website that, um, that the attacker controls. Twilio said the attackers sent these messages to look legitimate, including words such as Okta and SSO, referring to single sign-on, which many companies use to, to access, uh, secure access to their internal apps. And then Okta was hit, you know, earlier this year. So, you know, that's relevant too. Uh, Twilio said that it worked with U.S. carriers to stop the malicious messages. So as the registrar, uh, registrars and hosting providers to shut down the malicious URLs using the campaigns. So, you know, a couple things here, right? You have to train your employees, number one, right? You must, must, must train your employees. If you don't train your employees, then they're going to click links. They're going to log into websites. They're going to do all the bad things that you don't want them to do, right? Um, you know, pretty bad, right? Uh, so train your employees. You got to give them that phishing training and do all those things. Um, the other thing, you know, that we saw, obviously they were pretty convincing, right? One of the downsides with users in general is that the more convincing you are, the more likely they are to do certain things. And especially if you look at their behaviors, right? So, you know, typically people in the morning, like early morning when they start their day, they're not as alert as they would be later on in the day. So that's definitely um, an issue, right? Um, if something seems really, really convincing in the morning when somebody first gets in and checks their email, they might click it, right? Versus when they are, you know, 10, 11 o'clock when they're kind of more in the swing of things. Um, you know, so all that is kind of, you know, really, really bad. And, you know, obviously you got to tune your tools and make sure that your tools are working and everything like that. But, um, you know, Twilio is a major company, right? Like that's a major tech company that a lot of companies use. And, um, you know, but they're not, you know, they got fished, right? Like their employees are not um, untrickable. And that's just, that's like, that is like that with a lot of companies, you know, people are going to get fished. It's just how it is. That's one of the, um, you know, that's one of the ways that, um, that attackers continue to go after because it's just, it's, it's an easy target, right? I mean, you say it, but, you know, insiders are, you know, the biggest risk, whether that is intentional or unintentional, it's just how it is. And it's going to be that way. So we got to find a way to train them, but then also take some of that responsibility off their plate, hopefully rely on technology and things like that. But it's going to take a long time to get there, right? No tools perfect. And a lot of emails and phishing things, campaigns are going to get through. So we'll see. But um, all right. Uh, I think I've done enough rambling for today. 
Uh, that was your threat intel briefing for August 7th, 2022 through August 13th, 2022 for cybersecurity TLDR. Again, I'm your host, John Good. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. If you are uh, on listening on podcasting platforms, make sure to subscribe. Leave, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And with, uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the day. So I um, want to thank you for uh, joining me, and I'll see you next time.